You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us this evening, Father, through your word. As we look to your word, O Father, may you open our hearts to receive the truths, Father, to receive your thoughts which you have recorded for us, O Lord. May we see these words not simply as black and white on a page, Let us receive these words for what they are, truly the word of very God of very God. So, Lord, we pray, do this work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen and amen. This evening, what I want to really focus on are verses 10 and 11 of our text where we read the words, fear not, the angels speaking to the shepherds. They say, fear not, before, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Um, in these words, and especially in verse 10, there, there are some words in this text that actually can be quite painful this time of the year. And I think this time of the year, I think particularly this year, uh, in particular, they, they can be very, very painful. Um, and hearing about joy in the time of pain can, 
in many ways sound like nails down a chalkboard. What am I referring to? What am I referring to is uh, practically every other time my phone has rang, it has been something. Somebody has um, a prayer request for someone who's on a ventilator or someone has a prayer request for someone who is not doing so well or someone has a prayer request for a family who has lost loved ones. Just a, a couple of hours before the service, I was delighted to get a phone call from uh, someone I've known since I, was in, since I was in grade school. She was a neighbor, uh, grew up right down the road from me. And she called to uh, let me know, to ask if we would be uh, pleased, to, to, if we would please pray for uh, Rodney Ann. You remember Rodney Ann. Rodney Ann is in South Carolina on a ventilator, and her, her lungs are improving, but her kidneys are failing. And it, it's been like that, hasn't it? Um, there's been a tragedy in our own family. Uh, there was a horrible car crash, not very, just a, just a, a few days ago. And, um, you know, the day after Christmas, we we're going to be gathering together as a family in, a, in, a, in the funeral home. Um, it's been one of those years, hasn't it? And when that's the backdrop, when that's the context, sometimes seeing people smiling, sometimes seeing people joyous could be painful, can it? So how can you be so joyous when my whole life is coming apart? We've been there, haven't we? Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to show how these words can take us and they can transport or raise us, if you will, above our pain. Because they can, and they have, and they do. Now, of course, these words have a context. What's the context on Sunday mornings? We've been studying Luke's gospel. We've been studying chapter 1, and we've spent a lot of time, haven't we, in verses 26 through especially verse 35. You know, I, I was just reading this over this afternoon, thinking these things through in my mind, and I was thinking, you know, we've spent three weeks in verses 26 through 35, and I could see several key points that we haven't even touched on, and don't be scared, we're not going to go into all that tonight, but um, we can save that for next year, right? These words are so amazing. The angel Gabriel has been dispatched from heaven God has sent him to an obscure young girl who we would otherwise never have heard of. She's a godly young woman, but she's been given an assignment, an unbelievable assignment. The angel Gabriel comes to her, and if you look at verse 31 of chapter 1, he says to her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name, um, I'm sorry, you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, as we have seen, Mary is trying to perceive this. She's trying to perceive what's going on here. And she has a question. 
She has a question for Gabriel. We can imagine she probably has lots of questions. She has one question in verse 34. She says, how's this going to be? How in the world am I going to be with child being as I'm a virgin? How's this going to happen? And the angel answers her in verse 35. We spent uh, really uh, last Sunday almost the whole morning on this verse. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, God makes good on this promise announced by Gabriel. And when we turn to chapter 2 of Luke's gospel, we find now Mary is not only pregnant, but she's to term. Uh, she's to term. She's about to give birth to her child. And we can see in God's providence, uh, Caesar Augustus, who was emperor of Rome at this time, he issues a decree, if you see in verse 1 of chapter 2, a decree goes out that the whole world should be registered. That would be the Roman Empire, the known world, if you will, uh, that they should be registered for this census. Now, what's going on here? What's going on is Mary is in Nazareth. And as we have heard read tonight, Micah 5, 2 says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So Mary has to get to Bethlehem. Is Mary aware of that? I don't know. Um, but uh, certainly God is aware of that because he has promised that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and we see him providentially moving uh, through the most powerful man on the planet at that time, issuing a decree which brings Mary from Nazareth uh, to Bethlehem. And if you look at verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6, while they're there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, of course, verse 6 and 7, this really is pretty much the key verses that spell out the nativity scene, isn't it? Some of you may have some of those nativity scenes under your tree uh, in your living rooms or somewhere whereabouts in your home. And meanwhile... <laughs> We're told in verse 8, in the same region, there are shepherds who are out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And it's easy to romanticize this. You know, one of the things that I've been making noise about as we've gone through this Christmas season is we have to be careful when we come to these texts that we don't hallmark them. And what do I mean by hallmark them? I'm using hallmark as the trademark hallmark, like hallmark cards. We want to be sure that we don't hallmark these texts. And it's really easy to do. It's easy for a preacher to do. It's easy. It, 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 I don't listen to my old sermons for that reason. I keep your sermon. Spurgeon counseled uh, preachers to keep their sermons to weep over. And we've got enough to weep over. I don't need to look back at those messages and weep over them. But it's easy to, to be sentimental with this. It's easy to be nostalgic with this because this is part of our tradition, isn't it? It's part of what many of us have grown up with this. Um, and it's easy to romanticize. But here's the thing we need to understand. Um, these shepherds, were a class of people that were despised. Now, some of us might not know that. Some of us do know that. They were outcasts. Now, they were the people that, you know, they, they weren't the folks that were going to get invited. They weren't going to get the Christmas card. Um, these are folks that are on the other side of the tracks, however you want to put it. And it's important that we have that information because 
What do we have happening in verse 9? We have an angel of the Lord appearing to all of all people, shepherds, out in the field. And this whole thing, you know, this whole thing is, is completely backwards. It, it, you know, if we were writing a script for Hollywood, this whole thing is completely backwards as how the, how the movie would go. Here's this angel appearing to these outcasts who are out in the fields watching their flocks. And we're told that the glory of the Lord shone around them. So it's not just, the, it's more than just simply angels being dispatched by God, if you will. It's simply more than just an angel coming and speaking to them. Look carefully at verse 9. You see the glory of the Lord shone around them. That's the part that our nativity set doesn't show. The glory of the Lord. God actually manifests himself in a, such a way that they begin to see his glory. And what happens to them? They're filled with fear. This is what always happens to sinners when they come into contact with the glory of the Lord. This is something that our culture has lost. And it's one of the reasons why we have such a hard time processing tragedy. It's one of the reasons why we have such a hard time processing grief and a hard time processing things, bad things that happen. Because we don't understand the holiness of God. Here we see these shepherds, they're trembling with fear. Now, if you were one of these shepherds and you're, in the, you're, you, this is, you're being overcome with this and, and you're trembling with fear, imagine how wonderful it would be to hear the news spoken by the angel in verse 10, fear not. Don't be afraid. That'd be some good news, wouldn't it? But the good news gets better than that. Notice in verse 10, what does the angel say? He says, I bring you good news. You know, the New Testament wasn't written in English. English hadn't even been thought of yet. It'd be a number of centuries before English would be, uh, would be uh, invented. Uh, it's written in Greek. And what's amazing is this uh, phrase, I bring you good news, is only one verb in the, in the Greek uh, language. And we're all familiar with it, whether we realize it or not. It's euangelizo. And someone say, euangelizo, I'm not familiar with that. Well, you've heard evangelism, right? You take euangelizo and you bring it into English. It's evangelism. Evangelize. We want to make it a verb. What are the angels doing? They're evangelizing. The evangel is being shared. What does that mean? It means... Fear not, I bring you good news. It's what we call the gospel. What, if, what has this angel been sent to do? He has been sent to bring good news to these shepherds, and we're told that it is good news of a great joy. Now, let's stop right there just for a moment. And I just ask ourselves this question, why is it that some people can be so enamored with this? Why, why can some people be so thrilled with this and the person next to them be maybe relatively indifferent? Or I say, well, you know, these songs are cool. We hear these songs every year and they remind me of grandma's house or they remind me of this house or they remind me of that house. But in terms of... Uh, being enthralled with the presence and the living presence of Jesus. Well, not so much, but I see my neighbor here is really 
really um, is really moved by this. Why? What's the difference between two people? One who is in love, madly in love, and moved by Jesus, and his entire life is centered around Jesus, and the person right next to them sitting in the chair is not so much. And one of the reasons is, there's many things that could be said about that, but one of the reasons is worldview. The worldviews are different. And some will say, well, what's a worldview? Worldview is just two words smashed together, two simple words. You take these two words, you smash them together. Worldview. What is a worldview? Well, just take them back apart again and reverse them and add in a prepositional phrase. It's the way one reviews the world or view of the world. It's how someone views the world. That is their worldview. Every single one of us, including these youngsters that are with us tonight, has a worldview. What is our worldview? Our worldview is the way we see the world. How many moving parts do we perceive to be in this world? And naturally speaking, our worldview is like this. It's very much like this. And it's, I could say it's ill. I mean, properly speaking, it's dead. It's spiritually dead. That's the way we're described in Scripture is spiritually dead. But let's use the analogy of illness right now. This worldview is like this. It doesn't have the proper appetites that it should have. What do I mean by that? Well, let's use an illustration from illness. When many times when we come down with a serious illness, what happens to our appetite? Oftentimes, we're filled with nausea. And when we're filled with nausea, do we want to eat? No. And what, what does the physician, what challenges in front of the physician, perhaps even first, is to correct this? Because if we don't eat, what's going to happen? We're going to continue to get weaker, aren't we? So what does the physician have to do? The physician has to correct the appetite. Now, praise be God, we have things like uh, these IVs that you can put in your veins and you can feed people. But you understand my illustration here. Our appetites are not correct. We don't have the proper appetites. The worldview that we're born with doesn't have an appetite for the righteousness of God. It doesn't have an appetite for the Word of God. It doesn't have an appetite for the presence of Jesus. It doesn't have these things. Now, let's hold on to that just for a few moments, and let's continue with verse 10. The angel says to the shepherds, I bring you great good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. What is this news? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Okay, let's... Let's focus in on this last word, Savior. How is salvation used in the Bible? Salvation is used in the Bible in a similar way that we use it in everyday conversation. Now, probably most of us have gone through times of financial difficulty. Am I right about that? I mean, most of us have been there, haven't we? And in fact... When you find yourself in financial difficulty and you're down to your last few bucks and you've got more bills in the bill folder than you have coins in the purse, that's a scary situation, isn't it? 
And it's one you need deliverance from. In other words, it's something you need saved from. It's a situation that you need saved from. And oftentimes the scriptures describe it. In, in biblical language, in the old, in the ancient language, it was famine. There was famine in the land. Well, what is a famine? A famine is when there's no rain. You see, when there's no rain, there's no crops. When there's no crops, there's no food. You can't feed your livestock. You can't feed your family. Now, today, uh, we're not so dependent on rain, but we're dependent on work. We're dependent on income. And right now, one of the things I'm really nervous about, one of the things that really make me nervous is the massive inflation that's taking place right now. I'll tell you what makes me so nervous about that is because I know so many people that are on fixed incomes that are really just barely making it last year. Tammy and I got our first propane bill. It's twice as much as it was last year. And I think to myself, how are these families going to make it? Well, there's, there's, there's a situation that you can cry out for salvation from. Lord, help. That's what the psalmist says, isn't it? Lord. And the psalmist points to his particular situation. So you have financial things that we need to save from. Financial, we could call it economic distress. Salvation from finances. Another thing we commonly need salvation from is the biopsy. Now, most of us have been touched with that, haven't we? Either ourselves personally or someone in our family. And it goes like this. The doctor finds something that's suspicious. So you get scheduled for a biopsy. And when that happens, it puts a weight on your shoulders, doesn't it? And what are you hoping to hear when that happens? You're hoping that after this biopsy is done and it's sent off to the lab and it's examined, what we're hoping to hear is that all is well. And in a sense, we need salvation from that, don't we? We need salvation from that. Lord, save us from that. Well, if you get the news that all isn't well, Well, then what's next? Well, then you go through what's next, which is where some of us are. There's some of us that are not with us tonight because of that very reason. And now what do you need? You need salvation from this cancer. So we commonly, every day, talk about salvation. We talk about salvation in economic terms, and we talk about salvation in regards to our health. But this mindset, this worldview that's like this, It pretty much stops right there. It doesn't continue on. And it is unenabled to see the biggest disaster that each one of us faces. And what is the biggest disaster that each one of us faces? The biggest disaster that each one of us could potentially face is having to go into God's courtroom and give an account for every one of our sins before him. We don't think about that one as a culture at all because one of the things that our culture has done, it's, it's, it's been lulled to sleep in regards of the fact that there's a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming. And one of these days in a very short period of time, in a very short period of time, we are going to have to give an account for every careless word that we've ever spoken, for everything that we've ever done. And someone could be sitting here tonight saying, there's just, you know, there's just no, there's, if that's correct, there's no way, there's no possible way I could give an account for that. And that's 100% correct. But you see, the 
person who, one person is all joyous about Jesus and all joyous about the gospel. Well, you see, what's happened is the divine physician has come and touched their soul so that an appetite was increased in them so that they could be fixed, if you will, so that they could develop an appetite. An appetite for what? An appetite for God's word. An appetite for God's righteousness. Well, as you begin to study God's word, as you begin to have an appetite for God's righteousness, what does that teach us? That teaches us of our unrighteousness. What does that also teach us? It teaches us of God's holiness. And here's what ends up happening. What ends up happening is we say, okay, finances are important. Health is important. But the biggest problem that we have by far, and it's such a big problem, so much of a big problem, is that when this begins to happen to you, you actually start to forget about finances. You actually start to get, forget about health. And this is what begins to consume you. And when that is the case, when that is the case, our worldview has now expanded to the point where we can begin to perceive what this angel is actually saying. What is this angel saying to these shepherds? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, what is the good news about that? The good news about that is Jesus Christ has come God himself stepping in time, space, and history for the express purpose of taking care of our greatest need, which is what? Our sin debt, of paying our sin debt, of coming, living a perfect life, offering that life on the cross, taking the penalty for those sins in our place so that our sin can be taken away. You know, and guess what trickles down out of that? When your biggest problem is solved, all of our other problems are put into perspective. Doesn't mean that tomorrow when we gather for dinner and there's a couple of empty seats where there used to be people in them, it doesn't mean that isn't going to hurt because it does hurt. You know what I'm talking about. It does. But what it does for the pain is this. If you're in Christ Jesus, you can know tonight, and you can know always, that that pain is temporary. That pain is temporary. That God is going to take that pain away one of these days. And that makes all the difference in the world. And secondly... Secondly, what can we know? Well, think about our own personal salvation. What can we know about that? We can know that we have the brightest of future ahead of us, can't we? Think about the songs we've been singing tonight. You know, I chose them carefully. I wanted to choose songs that we knew really, really well. And our singers, Maggie and, and Tammy, did such a wonderful job for us tonight. But look at these, look at these, look at these hymns. Angels. We have heard on high. Where is that coming from? What's sponsored? Am I the only one here? I mean, I've been a musician for a long time. Am I the only one here that thinks that these happen to be some of the finest compositions that have ever been composed? Does, do, do you get tired of hearing these songs? Does anybody get tired of hearing these songs? Well, we do this every year, don't we? 
Wouldn't you think by now that we get tired of them? I mean, there's a lot of Christmas songs we get tired of, and we don't care if we ever hear another, another, hear it one more time. But isn't it amazing that we don't get tired of these? Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing over the plains. Mountains in reply, echoing back their joyous strains. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And you can go on. You can go on. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come, ye, oh, come, ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born king of angels. What a sponsor all these people to write these songs. What it came upon in the midnight clear, that glorious song of old, from angels bending near to the earth to touch their hearts of gold. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. What is that all about? It's about the good news that we're, that we're seeing announced in verses 10 and 11 of our text, isn't it? Let's leave us with one question. Has our hearts been filled? Which person are we? Are we the person, are we the person in the seat that's enthralled with Jesus? Are we the person in the were we the person in the seat who's Jesus is at the center of our lives? Or are we the person next to them? The same, maybe not so much. Let us ask ourselves that question tonight. And if the answer is not so much, let us look to our worldview. Is there room in our worldview? Is there room in our worldview to begin to see and ask the Lord, Lord, I don't have an appetite for these things. Lord, would you give me an appetite for your word? Would you give me an appetite for your holiness? Would you give me an appetite for your righteousness? Lord, would you teach me these things? Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, and we praise you, O Father, for this good news of the gospel, this good news that has been given and has given to us all these Years ago, Father, that just continues to ring and shine in our hearts. And Father, we do pray. We pray, O oh Father. We pray, O oh Father, that you'd be pleased, O oh Lord, uh, to fill our communities, O oh Father, uh, with the truths that are in uh, these words, O oh Father. Lord, we recognize all of us, many of us have neighbors whose hearts have not been set aflame by these things. O oh Father, we ask that, Lord, you'd be pleased, O oh Lord. You'd be pleased, O oh Father, to open up our hearts to receive these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you should have a candle, I guess. Hopefully, most of us have a candle. And what we've done in the past is we've just gathered around the seats. And we'll... Uh, We'll have somebody turn the lights out for us. If you, before we turn the lights out, though, it's wise to turn to hymn number 113. Hymn number 113. If we just stand up and gather around the seats, make a form a circle. We'll just form a circle here. And I think Tammy, if I know her, she's probably on the lights. And we just form a circle And I'm going to go ahead, and I actually came prepared. I almost forgot this, by the way. I almost forgot one of these. But uh, we'll need to try to spread out a little bit so we can form a circle. Because what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to light a candle, and I'm actually going to light um, Tammy's candle, and I'm going to light Lisa's candle, and we're just going to let them go all the way around. And we'll wait for... Uh, 
Tammy to go ahead and turn out the lights. Everybody on page 113? All right. We're going to hopefully be able to have enough candlelight to sing um, from these candles. Go ahead, Tammy. You want to turn the lights out? There we go. Nice. Nice. And we have uh, Maggie and Tammy on opposite sides, so if we could get you to go ahead and lead us in Silent Night, that would be wonderful. Heavenly Father, we so thank you, Lord. We so thank you for Christ our Savior. Oh, Father, we do pray tonight. We pray especially for those that are hurting, Father. There are so many in our neighborhoods and even in our own families, Father. I think of my Uncle Dave. Father, we think of um, those, oh, Father, whose hearts are tore up. And Father, we do thank you and praise you, Father, that you've given us hope. 
You've given us all of the hope. You've given us a hope of a glorious future that is free from tears. And Father, we pray that, Lord, you would apply the gospel to our hearts afresh this evening, Father. And Father, that, Lord, you would also cause it to reverberate in our minds that we could be um, a bomb, if you will, B-A-L-M, uh, to those who are hurting, Father. That you would use us, O oh Lord, to come alongside those who are hurting and share the gospel, the good news of great joy that we have in Christ Jesus. Be with us now, Lord, as we return to our families over the course of the next few days, Father. Keep everyone who's traveling safe, we pray, O oh Father. And bless everyone's time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.